Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Thank you for listening today to Exploring Missions, and we pray that God uh, is uh, that you're aware of God's presence with you right now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I pray that uh, you will uh, just draw in closer to Him and. I pray that he will speak to you, even through this uh, this program that you're listening to. Uh, you know, many of us are familiar with the uh, passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, that says, or actually 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What if you've never had a chance to read that verse? or read any portion of Scripture whatsoever in your own language? What if you've never been exposed to the Bible, to God's Word? What then? Can you even imagine what that would be like? I can't imagine myself uh, without the Bible. I can't, I can't picture it. And maybe you're like me. That would be very difficult to do. But what if I told you there are thousands and thousands, even millions of people around the world today who do not have even a portion of Scripture in their own language? heart language. That, that should break our hearts. That should uh, cause us alarm and, and want to, you know, cause us to want to do something about it. Well, today I want to introduce you to a, a couple and a family that have decided to do something about it, and they're giving their lives uh, to reach people with the gospel, but not only that, to equip people with, uh, with God's Word uh, in their own language and make it accessible to them. And so today we have in the studio with us uh, guests, David and Melissa Smith. So welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Hi, it's good to be here. Thank you. Now, David, actually, this is not a new place for you to visit. It is not. So you used to work at American Family Association, is that correct? I did indeed. I worked in the IT department uh, doing web development and mobile development several years ago. All right. So... um, He's familiar with with uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, where we we are recording this from. And uh, but where are you from, maybe originally? Well, that's that's a little bit of a trick question. We moved quite a bit when I was a child, and so we've moved and lived in several different areas, but mostly from the southeast. Okay. That. And, and Melissa, um, how long have you guys been married? Uh, we've been married fifteen years. So uh-huh. um, yeah. And you have how many children? We have six. Six children. Yeah. Unfortunately, they are not here with us today. We don't have enough microphones, but it would be interesting to try to do that, right? That's true. Very true. And and they would have quite a bit to say, too. Okay. Well, we want to talk to David and Melissa today, and uh, not just about their family, but also about their work that they are doing. And uh, tell us a little bit about um, who you work with and um, what, you're, what you're specifically doing. Well, we are part of Wycliffe Bible Translators, which works around the world to translate the Bible into the heart language of um, many different languages in many different countries. And uh, we work in Papua New Guinea um, with that organization. All right. So Wycliffe Bible Translators. And Melissa, you already said something that kind of pikes my interest. And um, 
we say this sometimes on, on this show, we talk about heart language. Um, what, what do you mean, or when Wycliffe talks about heart language of people, what, what does that necessarily mean? That's a great question. And your heart language is the language that you grew up speaking. It's the language you think in, dream in, pray in. Um, most of the time it's the language that you're, you grew up hearing your mother speak to you. And it's the language that really you understand things best in and that speaks to your heart. All right. So why is that important when we talk about Bible translation uh, and Wycliffe Bible translators? Why is heart language an important thing? Why can't, would it not just be easier since we have so many English translations just to teach people English? In some ways it would be easier. In some ways it's not because essentially what you end up having is um, you teach English, but no one really grasps it when you learn that second or third language. There are nuances to a language that you never really learn. And that's the part of the heart language that comes into play is that the language that you understand the best, the language that your mother talked to you when you were a baby, is the language that speaks to you the loudest. And so by having scripture in a heart language, it allows people to be connected better to the gospel. Mm. So for example would be, and this would be a stretch, because I'm not very good at picking up languages, but let's say I you know, knew a little bit more than just a few words in Spanish, and I actually could be fluent mm. in Spanish. Um, I could read a Spanish translation of the Bible. I could hear that a, a sermon preached in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I could even sing worship songs in Spanish. But that doesn't necessarily mean it, it gets to the soul of who I am in, in my no. heart and, and moves me in a way that English, which is my heart language, would right. do that, right? Definitely. And also, like, in our context in PNG, um, one of the uh, major trade languages is Tok Pisin. And in the case of Papua New Guinea especially, is Tok Pisin against other languages tends to be sort of of limited, meaning it it only has a handful of words. It has, like, about 16,000. When you say that, that's a lot. Yeah, it does sound like a lot. But when you think about English, you have 65,000 plus. Wow. Um, And so explaining things like atonement and propitiation and very um, things in theology uh, is a very difficult task in some languages. Yes. And we've had people say, um, you know, that who had the Bible in English or in another language that they knew, but it wasn't their heart language. Reading the Bible in that language, it was like it was like eating a banana with the peel still still on. But when I hear the Bible in my language, it's like eating a banana that's that's peeled and then I can fully taste it. The way it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so you guys are are fully involved and engaged in, in this work in uh, Papua New Guinea with Wycliffe Bible Translators. But that's not the only place that Wycliffe is working. And and it's really a global issue yes. of, of, of Bible access, correct? That's very true. So can you tell us a little bit about that so we can get a big picture? Right. So to give you an idea of, of the languages that are are known at this point, there are about 7,000 that are known. Let me scroll down to my statistics a little bit. Almost 7,100. Okay. Um, and out of those, there are needed over 1,600 yet of a potential need um, to begin translation. And out of that also is 2,500, over 2,500 that are, the work has already begun. But that only means the process has begun or is close to finished. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're all nearly about to produce a New Testament. There's a lot of work that goes into being accurate and being clear and, right, you know, being um, 
faithful to the Word of God, as, as translation goes. So a good bit of editing has to take place before you can declare something completed. Right, and a good bit of checking. Mm-hmm. Um, checking is another big thing that has to be done. Now, Melissa and I are not translators ourselves. Um, we are actually support, and so we support around it. And so we know a few things about it, but we're not the experts for sure. Gotcha. Um, just a quick question about the translation work, however. What is considered a complete work when you say there's 2,500 that have begun, uh, there's 2,500 languages that have begun Bible translation work in, right. but it's not completed. What is a complete uh, th- There are stages of completeness. There are completing you know, certain books or portions of books. And then, of course, the New Testament is, tends to be the first goal. And then following that, the full Bible, the, the Old Testament as well. Okay. So, and that's kind of what the completion means. So they, they draw the line first of the New Testament and then say, once that's complete, then they go on to the, the project as the Old Testament. Now, different areas of the world um, handle it slightly differently, depending right. on the context and the sensitivity of, of the people they're working with. Gotcha. So um, it's amazing when you just talk about these numbers, you know, 1,700, if, if I'm correct, without any portion of Scripture. Yes. 2,500 with portions, but not complete New Testaments or, or Bibles. Right. And the, the last number that I've sort of kind of glossed over is about 2,900 that the need is unknown. Oh, wow. So there could be more, gotcha. but that need is not known as of this moment. And we're not talking about multiple translations in the same language. Like no. we, 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 you know, here in the U.S. and in the English-speaking world, we've really just— We've grown, uh, I don't know the word, but callous maybe or just insensitive to how, what a, you know, a plethora of translation choices that we have right. in, in our one language of English. And I'm not even sure that, that callous is necessarily the right word. Uh, it may just be a lack of, of knowing. That's yeah. the where we were. Uh, for many years, it was up until college before I even knew that there was such a need of people who didn't have God's word in their own language. I thought, you know, we're here in the computer age. We have the internet. We have uh, all of these things, uh, literacy, and, you know, the rest of the world has scripture or access to scripture in some way. It's simply not true. Yeah. Um, And so I think we sort of buy into our complacency and think that it's okay without actually doing the work to, to gain the knowledge that it is not or haven't haven't been presented the opportunity to hear that it is not. Right. But these numbers are really astounding. And so if you're a little bit like me, you wonder, how can we have 1,700 language groups without any portion of Scripture, but there's only just around 200 nations in the world? Right. You know, and people might wonder just on that basis, how, do, how could that be? And, and that's more about people groups, right? There are certain people groups in the world you might have multiple people groups in one country, like Papua New Guinea is an example, right? Right. Papua New Guinea is um, the most culturally and linguistically diverse country in the world. And um, in a country the size of California, there's over 800 different languages. Wow. And so that's because it's a very um, geographically diverse country as part of why. And so you have... Um, huge mountains that are hard to cross, big rivers, swamps. And so you have all these people groups that are very, um, for a long time, we're very isolated from each other. And even today, travel is very difficult. And so, um, yeah, so each of these different people groups can have their own language that is very different. It can be completely different from a language that's a couple hours walk away or even closer than that. 
And that's true across the world. That's that's often the case that you have these very distinct languages that have um, that have come up, and uh, they're not not close at all to other languages nearby. So geographically speaking, you have groups in in Papua New Guinea who are relatively close to one another, right? But far from each other in maybe language and culture. Very true. So it's got to be challenging, not just to. Uh, we'll talk about the challenges of living there. But working there in, in the work that of Bible translation has got to be very difficult. Yeah, just actually just living there as an American citizen can be very difficult in the sense that, uh, you know, you go from one place to another and the culture is different. The language is different. And so you sort of have to reintegrate yourself into that area. Um, now, we ourselves don't do a whole lot of traveling because by nature, the way my work is designed, it stays close to the, the, the main center. Um, but we do travel and we do go about the country quite a bit. I mean, well, not quite a bit, but fairly often, once a year or so. And so we do get to see that and we do get to sort of, you know, integrate ourselves into it. Hmm. Yeah, we have friends who are um, translation consultants. They've been assigned to a specific language group and they do go out to the village to learn the language and to work um, directly on Bible translation. And they have to fly from um, the part of Papua New Guinea that they live in, which is already remote. They live on um, one of the other main islands. They have to fly from there to a different part of the island. And then they have to ride in the back of a truck for two hours up the side of the mountain um, to get to their village. And that's that's good. There's logging roads that have been put up. I mean, the first time they went out, the road wasn't finished and it was like a seven hour walk. Oh, wow. So, Literally through the jungle, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's very challenging for these um, translation consultant teams to get out into the village um, can be a real real challenge. That's amazing. So let's go back a little bit. I don't know, 10 years from now or 10 years in the past. Okay. Did you see yourself living where you are now and doing what you're doing now? Yeah, that's actually a funny question. I, I have been praying about doing this since I was in college. Really? So I think it was around um, my fall semester, which would have been in 2000. Um, kind of dating myself now, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I had a missions professor who, uh, it was an introduction to missions sort of class, and he got up and he spoke about different organizations, different countries throughout the class. And the two that stuck with me were Wycliffe Bible Translators and Papua New Guinea. Hmm. Um, and, and they have stuck with me for years, literally. And so even even during my time of work here, um, if uh, like a missionary came to our church or what have you, we had a mission service or whatever, um, I would just feel the, the burden to go and, and felt like the door was closed for many years. Right. So this was before you met Melissa, is that correct? That is correct, so yes. I'm wondering, wanting to know how that kind of played into <laughs> the relationship, but Melissa, go ahead. Okay, well, yeah, so David and I met at college, um, and he shared with me really early in our relationship that this he felt called to go work with Wycliffe Bible Translators in Papua New Guinea. And if I wasn't on board with that, then this was not going to work, and I should just move along. By the way, <laughs> that's probably not the best pickup line, right? I, right, right. I, yeah, I, I'm not the great at, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, but so um, so I prayed about that. But honestly, I felt a lot of confirmation in our relationship and I was okay with going um, if that's what we were supposed to do. But I honestly did not 
really get it. I just didn't sink into my heart um, until much later. Um, it was probably about two, 2012, honestly, for me, when um, David had just reached a point where he was so miserable mm. about us not being able to go that I said, we should just pray that God will release you from this call or open the door for us to go. And it was in the process of praying through that, that God really just hit me with how blessed we are with all this plethora of English access to the Bible that you were talking about earlier. And I was in a Christian bookstore and just looking around at not only all the different translations, all the different kinds of Bibles you can get, all the different colors of Bibles you can get, and all the reference material in English that you can get to help you understand mm -hmm. the Bible even better. And God just kind of hit me upside the head with, um, with the fact that there are people who have nothing. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, 10 years ago, no, but um, for several years now, yes. So were you guys married at this time when you're yeah. and have some children at that point? Yeah. yeah, I think we had four at that point. Is that right? No. We yes, had... we had four. We had four when we, we had four. Okay. Yeah. So how, how did that either complicate things or make things, how did that work when you, you're not just talking about, you know, David, yourself right. going, your whole family. What is that like? It does create some logistics for <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I mean, because now it's it's not passports for one or two people; it's it's passports for and now eight um, passports and visas and uh, shot records and all of the things that logistically must go into it, along with the paperwork that's additional on top of that. And so, yeah, it's there's there's a lot of logistics, but also the challenge in and of itself is excellent because I mean, the kids come along; they have a pr perspective that I wouldn't have right. necessarily. They get to connect to people that I never would have gotten to connect to um, had it not been for, oh, you know, this person's in my class. And so we meet their family and, oh, OK, well, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, people I've had people say, oh, I could never take my kids to Papua New Guinea or I'd be so scared or aren't you, you know, worried living overseas. And um, and I did wrestle through with some of that. But God just reminded us in the application process um we knew someone who lost a child who lives here in America and yeah. just one of those things that just happens. And God just reminded me that our kids ultimately belong to him and that he's in charge of the number of their days and their safety, whether we're here in America or we're overseas. And so, um, and honestly, we've been, we've been blessed. Our kids love our life there. There are challenges to this life as a whole to the comings and goings. Right, um, right now our kids are, are struggling because they've been taken away from that life right. and they're here and there's adjustments with that. And I'm sure when we go back, there's going to be grieving with that as well, but they love our life in Papua New Guinea. And um, so God's really just answered our prayers for them in that. That sounds wonderful. So we're curious, what does a day in a life of a Smith family look like? I'm sure every day is different, but what would a, if you could make a typical day, what would it, well, I am I'm a fairly early riser. I rise around 5, 5.30 usually. Uh, you know, start the coffee for whoever's going to drink the coffee. Uh, hopefully I don't drink it all before anybody gets up. <laughs> and do whatever Bible study I'm, I'm doing at that point. And then and sort of jump into getting the kids ready. They start waking up before. Um, sorry, they, they wake up before you, dear. Um, and then start, <laughs> you know, begin to, to get them adjusted and, and ready for whatever day that, that we're sort of facing. Uh, we might go and uh, depending on the winter time, because we're actually, even though we're on a tropical island, uh, we're at 5,000 feet of elevation. Okay. And so sometimes at 90 can get quite a bit chilly. Uh, 
It's only about 40 degrees that it is the lowest that it usually drops to. Right. But the houses have no insulation and no heat, uh-huh. so we so so it feels a lot more uh, a lot colder than it actually is. Um, and so we we tend to you know build a fire if we need to, depending on the time of the year, that sort of thing. From there, uh, Melissa tends to rise and get the breakfast ready and and the kids ready, and um, I get ready to go and do programming, and because that's sort of my role is uh, computer software. And Melissa, then her day is much harder than mine, to be honest. <laughs> Well, um, we coordinate uh, all our fruits and vegetables have to come from um, a local market. So they're Papua New Guineans in the area. They grow um, a variety of fruits and vegetables and um, they'll bring them to our community to sell them, um, which helps them and helps us and um, is a big blessing. And so um, that's only three days a week, though, um, Uh and it's from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. So sometimes... Um, I've made the the walk down to uh, get the vegetables and fruit, and then you have to carry it back up, which is hard when you're talking about fruits and vegetables for eight people. Um, I can't imagine. No, David has also done that task. I have done that task. He's done that. And actually, um, this last year, we've been able to hire a, a local teenager to do it. But we don't have a vehicle. Some people in our community do. Some people don't. It's a small community, so you can walk anywhere. But you're walking anywhere, whether it's, pouring rain or um the middle of the afternoon whether your two-year-old is tired or you know and you're talking up and down mountains right well Plus, it's pretty steep grade but it, we're on kind of the side of a mountain in the valley it's, it's a little weird because it, it is sort of up a, a really big hill but it's the, the mountains still surround us so. yeah so we're in a valley but it's not a flat valley so right. there's just there's a lot of changes in elevation so you're going you got I, paved streets and sidewalks no 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 no. <laughs> it's um gravel and dirt roads um so when it's dry the rocks are slippery because yep. they they're slide. loose mm-hmm. yeah and when it's wet it's slippery because there's so much mud so you just, I mean, you have to be careful. Um, I've fallen and sprained my ankle. I've broken my foot just because, you oh, know, wow. it's just easy to trip. Um, but it's not, we're not hiking up a mountain, but it's just, you know, it, mm-hmm. it can be a little tricky getting around. So I walk the kids to school um, a couple days a week. Um, my my older kids now can walk by themselves, but um, my youngest school age kid was in preschool and she's not gotcha. quite old enough to walk right. by herself. So walk the kids to school and then walk to run any errands I need to do. Um I walk to our grocery store, um, which is, we just have one store. It's open 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., five days a week, except on Thursdays it opens at 9.30. <laughs> and um, and it's still only open until 4. It's not open on the weekend. Um, and then it's about the size of most convenience stores. Okay. You know, maybe a gas station store. It's Definitely smaller than, say, a Raceway right. or, okay. or a Napco. Yeah. Um, and so that's where we I get all our staples and things. And then because most people don't have cars, the store actually delivers groceries okay. to your house. Um, yeah, so that's some of And then I have sometimes have to go pick up the kids or, you know. So it's all day. Things just, things that we take for granted here right. in, in American mm-hmm. life. It's all day processes there. Right. Everyday life is, is a lot harder, even like down to washing clothes and drying them and meal prep. And so right. like drying clothes, uh, washing clothes, we just, you know, stick them into the washer like anyone else. But pulling them back out and drying them is a completely different ordeal. We have to check the weather. We have to be sure that it, it's not going to rain. We have to sort of watch the clouds. And if and once we put them out on the line, if it begins to rain, we either have to make the decision of 
okay, well, those clothes are just going to get wet because it's raining so hard already. By the time I get them down, they're they're not going to be, it's not going to make any <laughs> right. difference. Right. Or uh, can I run out there really fast and, and get them off the line before it rains really hard? And, yeah. and the good thing about where our house is situated on the center is that we can look out and see the rain coming. And so if we just happen to look out and see the rain coming, sometimes we can beat it. You can catch it. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But but like meal preparation. So like we pretty much have to um, make most of the stuff that we, we do. I have a, a picture on my phone somewhere that, that is uh, a picture of a taco salad night that we did. And, you know, we got the lettuce and tomato from the market. We cut it all up We after we bleached it and washed it because... Of, There's um, bacteria yeah. and things that can, oh, yeah. can make you sick. So all our fruits and vegetables have to be um, put in bleach water before wow. we eat them. So and that's like part of that's part of the process. And then we had guacamole on the table, which we had raised the herbs for, like in a garden, and then you know had and uh, taken them, you know, yeah. diced yeah. them up and put them in, along with the avocado that we had picked out of the yard or either at market, depending on the time of the year, because uh, our tree sort of has this weird thing going on with it. Anyway, so we made the guacamole and, you know, and then made the sour cream, you know, went and grabbed the lemon off the tree and took some cream and mixed it together and made our own sour cream. And yeah, it's, it's the so way really life is. genuinely homemade. Yes. Oh, yes. Really Everything homemade. Is made yeah, not scratch. much convenience, convenience foods at well, all. So. We don't have a lot of time left. So let me switch and make a transition and mm-hmm. ask you guys, what is your uh, work specifically doing in, in Papua New Guinea? Uh, you, you talked about technology, and this is hard. Right. It's a really interesting picture. You got you're working in technology in this sort of almost primitive type location. How does that work? Yeah, we're in a very remote location, and so like uh, there's a lot of challenges to that. I mean, we do have cell service where we are, um, but that's been a recent thing within the last five to ten years. Uh, ten years ago, it wasn't even there. Um, but technology-wise, I do software development as I had done here at AFA previously. Um, but one of the things that I do is actually write apps to help with literacy. Um, and so we, the initiative that I've joined within the, the group that we work with is called Education for Life. And we're basically creating applications that we can change out the language learning to read and be able to help teachers do that for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so we can actually have both teachers within classes. We can have... Um, uh, language consultants like Melissa mentioned earlier that, that go out and do translation, they can do that sort of thing and help the people that are there begin to learn to read their own language, If uh, especially if they're in a very remote area. It gets difficult. And so that's my role. And that's, and that's to accomplish the overall goal of, uh, right. of uh, you know, bibl- not just biblical literacy, but just even translation work before that biblical literacy can happen. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. So we want people to have God's word and be able to read it in their language. I mean, it's such an important work. Real quickly, how can people either find out about Wycliffe Bible Translators or even get in touch with you guys? Well, the best way to find out about Wycliffe Bible Translators is their website at wycliffe.org. Um, and then for us, uh, you can, the, the easiest way is on Facebook, um, facebook.com slash Smiths on a mission. And right. that'll take you right to our Facebook page where we post a lot of updates and things. So. Very, very good. We want you to pray for the Smiths as they are on mission in Papua New Guinea and the work with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And we ask that you pray for them and, and want to uh, just think about Bible translation and how you can uh, be a part of that, maybe through giving, maybe through going, like uh, like the Smiths have done. 
And so we thank you for listening today to Exploring Missions, and may God bless you as you be a blessing to those around you.